Good morning, beautiful. <laughs> Good morning, all of you happy, happy, happy people. Somebody told me one time I cut up too much. I said, well, you know what? If you live like I live, you got to live and laugh because if you don't, you lose your mind. And last time I checked, it's still in there, Pastor Faye. A merry heart does good like a medicine. There you go. And the Apostle Paul said to uh, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. So here's what I think about it. Rejoice. Rejoy. Do joy double time. So... Uh, Okay, so if I'm too happy for some some people, I'm sure there's a lot of stogie fogey people look like they fell in the pickle jar somewhere if you want to go hang around with them. I'm not one of them, okay? All right, anybody else happy, happy, happy in here? In fact, while I'm meddling, I'll go ahead and say this, okay? So guess what, Tori, today I was reading a verse. I got a ghoul verse for you, all right, ready? She was digging that ghoul word. Y'all remember ghoul from the other night? Spinning around under the influence? Hold on just a second. I'm on a time frame. And Miss Bleas is here today, so I got to stay on the time frame. <laughs> but she can't catch me right now, so I'll just do what I'm going to do. Y'all show mom some love. Would y'all know y'all did that? Today is the 21st, correct? All right, Psalm 21.1, I was studying this this morning. And uh, hold on just a second, let me pull up another translation here. Let me pull up New King James. The king, David's talking about himself, the king shall joy in your strength, O Lord. Listen to this. And in your salvation, in the Hebrew, in your Yeshua. Guess whose name in the Greek came from the Hebrew Yeshua, Jesus. So we could almost say, in your Jesus, how greatly shall I rejoice. Guess what word is used for rejoice right there? Ghoul, <laughs> to spin around under the influence. I'm gonna tell you what, I think Jesus is worth that kind of praise, don't you? Anyway, it says, he will rejoice over you. That's, I found it. He will rejoice over you. That word rejoice there actually means he will spin around over you. Right. <laughs> See, that'll mess some people's nature, that, their mindset up if you think that about God. But let me take you to Jesus. Let me piggyback on that. In the book of Luke 10, 19, in chapter 10, Jesus sent the 70 out. And when they came back, Jesus sent them out. He said, I want you to preach the kingdom. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, blah, blah. When they came back, they said, Lord, we did just what you said. We healed the sick, we raised the dead. But the amazing thing that really caught them was like, Lord, even the devils were subject unto us. And Jesus looked at them and he said, gentlemen, this is the Tim Hodge version. He said, that's awesome. But don't get too excited about that. Won't something get really excited about it? Okay, New King James says, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice in this, that your name 
is written in heaven. Rejoice. Okay, and then the next verse, Jesus went off by himself and he prayed to the Father. And the Bible says this, it says he rejoiced in spirit because they got that revelation. Now hold on just a minute. Here's New Testament version of Gul, Tori. Ready? Agaliao. Everybody say that. Agaliao. Liao means to jump for joy. Aga is a Greek prefix, which means something that is a whole lot more than it usually is. A whole lot more. Agaliao means Jesus went over to by himself and he had himself a little spell because his disciples were getting it. And he started doing himself a little toe tap bunny hop. And see, that part about Jesus, if you watch too many Hollywood Jesus movies, you know where that Jesus is walking around all limp-wristed and talking real soft all the time? That won't fit. But I want the Bible version of Jesus. I don't want Hollywood version of Jesus. Amen? So you know what? Anytime you get a breakthrough in your life, he's still Agali Owen, okay? All right, so here's the plan for right now. Y'all got to get out of here because by 10:15, your teachers are going to start your class. So Miss Wanda's going to be, or 10, however quick you can get in there. Miss Wanda is going to be over here in the kitchen as she was last night. Or excuse me, fellowship hall, not the kitchen. Kim's in the kitchen cleaning up. Sorry. Uh, and y'all show Kim some love when you walk by there. If she's still back there. Tell her thank you for the breakfast. And uh, Miss Wanda is going to be having her class in there today. Michelle is going to have her class in the children's church room. So if you don't know, you can go through that doorway right there and just go right down the hallway. You'll find it. Okay. And, uh, and tomorrow morning, uh, Wanda will repeat her lesson from 930 to 1015 so that it can be uh, uh, Yes, we will live stream. Wanda's going to be in here in the morning during the Sunday school hour teaching her class in here to whoever didn't get in on it last night or today. But also we, we recorded when Michelle's live streamed archived. Mom's going to be live stream archived. And tomorrow morning we'll, have, we'll be doing live streaming during the Sunday school time as well. So Wanda's will be archived. So you can actually go back and watch all three classes. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So anyway, Miss Wanda is going to be over here, and I don't have my paper in front of me. Technically, what is the title of your class, Miss Wanda? Creating a flow in the worship service. Creating a flow in the worship service. How much are you paying people to go to your class today? Um, Five dollars a head. Right. Just kidding. A cup of coffee might be left in there, okay? There may be extra breakfast. There you go. So, Miss Wanda's there. Come on, Michelle. What's, what's the title of your class one more time? Sacrifice of praise. I felt that, didn't y'all? All right. That's her faux nice person voice, okay? So if you want to go to Michelle's class, sacrifice the praise. If you want to go to Miss Wanda's class over here, all right, create an atmosphere of worship, flow of worship, then that's fine. Or you can stay in here with Miss Blee. So y'all go ahead and head out to whichever class you want to go to.
For those of you who are wondering if Michelle got a spanking last night when she got home. <laughs> um, <clears throat> she did not for two reasons. Number one, because she was apologizing for some bad behavior in the past. And number two, since Pastor Tim has been our senior pastor, I'm no longer shocked at what goes on. so much not being able to be here but I everybody's done such a good job and it's gone so well and I'm so proud of those of you who have uh, made it a point to be here as much as you can and this morning uh, I'm going to talk for a little bit on <clears throat> the basics of praise and worship that's what I entitled it but then as I was studying it went several different directions so um, so I wanted first us to read together Psalm 105 verse 4 Psalm 105, verse 4. It's, it's going to be on the wall, and let's, you can just let's read it together. The New American Standard. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Say that again. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. And then John 4, 23 through 24 says, and this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well, but a time is coming, read it out loud please, but a time is coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now let me just say a word about that. that that's a whole lesson in itself from John 4, 23 through 24. Uh, Jesus did not say that, um, that the Father was looking for worshipers, period. Because in, a, in every person is the desire to worship and everybody worships something. What, Je what Jesus said was the Father is looking for people who will worship the Father, who will worship Him and Him alone. The Father is looking for those who will worship the Father. How? And spirit and the truth. For such people, this is the kind of people that the Father seeks to be his worshipers. People who will worship one God, one God, only God, and who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And like I said, the, the passage in spirit and in truth are two whole lessons on their own. I may get a chance to touch on a little bit of this. But then back to that first verse, I just love that first verse that we read. And, and whenever it speaks of seeking his presence, would you go back to that first verse, please? Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Um, the the one, one Bible version says, seek his presence continually. The New American Standard actually translates presence because most of the time in Hebrew, the word for presence is face. So it means to get in the face of God, that, that implies intimacy. I remember one time that, um, uh, I remember a, lesson, a verse of scripture in Psalms that says, don't be like, uh, like the mule, that you have to jerk him around, 
has to have a bit in his mouth. You have to jerk him around to make him go right or left or obey you. But be so close to God that you can be led by his eye. You can be led by his eye. That's presence. That's getting into the face of God, that intimate, that intimacy there. Well, so you might say, <clears throat> I'm a believer. I'm always in his presence, right? Yes and no. Yes and no. Because, uh, let me explain. First, we have God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence is one of his attributes. And, and he's always going to be omnipresent. Psalm 139 speaks to said, if I should make my bed in hell, even there you are with me. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And it's speaking of his omnipresence. I used to think that that meant that God was so big that everybody, everywhere, he was with, a part of him was with everybody, everywhere. That's how big he was. I learned that he is so big that all of him is with me, and all of him is with Melanie, and all of him is with Connie, and all of him is with each of us. Can you imagine that, that God is so big that I can have all of him, more of him? So really, when, when we, when we pray, say the prayer, or sing the songs, more of you, more of you, we really can't get any more of him. <laughs> we really can't get, what we can do is move closer to him, get in his face. And so, so then at first it's his omnipresence. That means in that sense, he's everywhere presence. He's always with you. But second is his abiding presence. Um, just as the branch says, uh, just as the branch, the verse about the branches says that you abide in the vine in order to bear fruit, we must learn to abide in him. We're his temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is constantly abiding in the sense that he's made a covenant with us and he has said, I will never leave you so that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will never leave you. So, we don't have to pray uh, for his omnipresence, for his omnipresence to be with us because he's God. We don't have to pray for his abiding presence to be with us because he's God. And, and the only thing I have to do is abide. I don't pray for his, his constantly abiding. We used to sing that hymn years ago. I don't remember which red book it was in. Um, there's a peace in my heart that the world never gave, a peace that cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that has come here to stay. And then the chorus changes um, the time sign and it changes rhythm and it, it goes constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. Constantly abiding. And that's that, that second um, presence that we're talking about today. He is never going to leave you. He is constantly abiding as long as, and remember, it doesn't say abide with me. The verse didn't say abide with me. It said abide in me, abide in me. So as long as we abide in him, we don't ever have to pray for, his, for him constantly abiding. You don't ever have to feel alone. You don't ever have to feel invisible. Pastor Faye preached that last Sunday, God sees you and God knows you. But the third attribute, the third uh, part of his presence is his manifest presence. Now that's the part over and over in the word of God. We're exhorted to seek the Lord, to seek his presence, to seek his face, to draw near to him, to draw near to him. And in every case, he's talking about his, um, his, not his omnipresence, not his uh, abiding presence, but his manifest presence. So what is the difference in his manifest presence? Manifest means to make known to show forth, and so, so while he's always with me, 
he, he doesn't make himself known or show himself until we meet the pattern of worship that you all have been taught about this week. When we come to him biblically, when we come the way Pastor Tim taught the other night and, and with the sacrifice of praise and all these things, when we follow his biblical examples, when we come to him the way he wants us to worship and not what fits our preference and the way we want to worship, then he, that's where he shows up. That's where he manifests himself. And here's what happens. Um, Psalm 22.3 says, When God's people come together to make his praise glorious, he inhabits those praises and reveals his presence in a very special way. Now, the presence of God is the earmark of the church. If the, I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. If the manifest presence of God is not in our church, we're just like a social club. We can, uh, uh, we can, you can join the country club and God will be there because of his omnipresence and his abiding presence. But the manifest presence is going to come whenever we meet God's requirements and we come according to the biblical pattern of, of worship. And here's what happens. In this presence, the power of God is revealed. There's deliverance, cleansing, the fullness of the spirit, the operation of gifts, souls are saved, and much more when he is present in power and in response to praise and worship. In other words, when we create an atmosphere like he enjoys in heaven, he feels real comfortable there. He shows up and operates there and manifests his presence there. And he delights to manifest his glory and power. Why? Because he takes pleasure in you. He loves you. He loves his people. And he responds to that type of worship. So I'm asking you this morning, are we hungrily seeking his presence, his manifest presence? Or are we just satisfied to coast along, knowing God's with me? Uh, and just coast along and, and, um, and come to, to satisfy the service as usual, satisfied with this. God creating every one of us, not just in the sanctuary, but in our private devotions and in our car and in our home and wherever we are, God, create in us a hunger for your manifest presence. And now that we know how, that, how to, to, that will be revealed, teach me, show me how to create an atmosphere in my house and in my heart like what you're used to in heaven so that you will show yourself strong there. I want to read First Peter um, 2, 9. I don't think I gave you all that, did I? Okay, uh, some of you can probably quote it, but let me just read it real quick. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now the King James says a peculiar people, that's what it means. A people for God's own possession. <clears throat> so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I love this verse that goes with it. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We used to sing a song that said, we're the people of God, called by his name, called from the dark and delivered from shame. One holy race, Saints, everyone, because of the blood of Christ, Jesus, his son. Aren't you thankful? Can we just take a praise break here? God, we just praise you. We just thank you. And we 
we are indeed the people of God. We give you all the praise and all the glory for that. Thank you, Father. So worship then is both, according to this, is both how we live and why we live. Worship is both how we live and why we live. Let me read you this quote from Tozer. He's a wonderful um, author from years back. He said, Worship of the living God is man's whole reason for existence. Would you say worship is my whole reason for existence? Uh, can you say it with a little more confidence? <laughs> worship is whole reason for existence. Maybe you said that's a little foreign to me. Uh, if we put worship first, everything else will fall in its rightful place. And he further said, that is why we were born and why we were born again from above. That is why we were created and why we have been recreated. Now that's also why there's a church. The church exists to worship God. We do many things, but our first priority is to worship God. So we, we ask this question then, so why do we worship? Why do we worship? Well, first of all, because he's God and he commanded it. Um, we, we, we worship to meet, um, because he's the only worthy one of our worship. We worship to meet needs in our spiritual nature. We worship because it gives God pleasure. Justin Cornwall said, perhaps the three major reasons for worship is, it brings us into right relationship with God and ourselves. It brings us into right expression of ourselves to God. And it teaches us so much about ourselves, about our God, and about our responses. <clears throat> That's a whole lesson in itself. I just want to add this morning that I believe worship is the key to everything. Worship is the key to everything. If we teach our people biblical worship, it's the key to evangelism. It's the key to evangelism. It's the key to church growth. It's the key to um, spiritual warfare. It's the key to fit financial prosperity in the house of God. You know, we want workers, but God wants worshipers. And they ought not be working in our church until they become a worshiper. All of these, let me just stop here just a minute about worship being the key to fit. No, I'll tell, I'll tell you that story later. I'll tell you this part, though. Um, some time ago, you know, Abbott Laboratory had closed and a lot of things had happened. And, and um, our church was struggling financially. We were very thankful we were debt free, but we were struggling financially. And so Pastor began to make a confession every Sunday morning. And those of you who attend North, you've heard this story. Pastor began to make a confession every Sunday morning. There is no lack in this house. There is no lack in this house. And so suddenly, finances picked up and there was no lack. We had the money to pay everything. We were no longer in the red, but we just had enough to get by. So Holy Spirit spoke to him and he changed his confession. He began to say, there is abundance in this house. There is abundance in this house. There is abundance in this house. In the name of Jesus and on the authority of God's holy word. And all through COVID and all through, there was abundance in this house. We were able to help other pastors. We blessed 22 pastors. I'm not saying, I'm just saying this to give glory to God. We, we blessed 22 pastors during the clergy month because we knew pa 
churches were struggling. We, we, we helped support two evangelists during that time because we knew they could no longer hold revivals. And God began to prosper us and began to prosper us. Well, so Pastor Tim came along last year and he began to declare that it was the year of double portion. He began to declare, decree, I'm talking about using our mouth. You see, well, let me just tell you just a little basic thing about praise and worship. Your mouth is the launching pad. Praise and worship is a powerful weapon, but it does no good until you launch it with your mouth. Those, those big, um, those big um, cannonballs, I don't know anything about new warfare. I'm probably sure it's about the same. But until that cannon released it, that cannonball would just sit right in there and would not go to its intended purpose. Well, you can have praise and worship in your heart all you want to, but you have to use your mouth to release it for it to be effective. And so we use our mouth as a launching pad. And that's what Pastor Blees was doing. That's what Pastor Tim was doing. They began to decree and declare that. And so it, what a difference it made this year, to God be all the glory, we ended the year with more money in the black than we have ever in the entire history of this house had money in the bank. And I'm going to tell you, it won't stay there long. <laughs> it won't stay there long because God uses, um, uh, God, God, God gives it to us to bless others and God uses it to us to bless this kingdom. But isn't, isn't that awesome what God can do? So listen, this will work in your personal life just like it does, just like it does in, in our life. So it is the key to financial prosperity in the house of God and it's the key to financial prosperity in your house. I look back, um, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I'm, I feel like I'm running out of time here. I, I got to make up for, you know, missing two nights. And so, um, so I remembered a time whenever um, uh, our, we, were, we were growing in worship, and, um, and in a few minutes I'm going to show you a slide. We'll just go ahead and put it up there now for me, the one that says lavish worship equals lavish uh, Lavish worship equals lavish giving, and lavish worshipers equal lavish givers. So when God first began to birth this understanding of praise and worship and get us involved in praise and worship, my husband began to give more and more and more to God. He started out 10%, then he went to 20%, and then he went to 30%, and he just kept going until the point that one day, when Michelle was real young, she and Dolores Scott's girls went up to social services because they were advertising some jobs for teenagers and they told her that she wasn't eligible because her dad made too much money. She said, well, can I count what we have left over when he gives it all away? <laughs> because lavish worshipers equals lavish givers. The more lavish we become in our worship, the more giving we become. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about giving of our money, yes, but I'm talking about giving of our time and giving of our service and giving sacrifices of praise in worship. And so believe, I believe that worship is the key to everything. Jesus said in his temptation, uh, worship the Lord and serve. He, he put worship before service. And if we put service before worship, if we allow, let me tell you this little quick story. Um, whenever um, Michelle and Mark, Mark changed jobs and they moved to the beach, um, we, uh, we suddenly didn't have a piano player to play praise and worship music. We had wonderful musicians in our church. They could not play that style of music. And so she, her plan was to come back every Sunday until we could train somebody. And the first week she moved, she had a, a car accident and broke her arm. 
so that she couldn't come back to teach anybody anything. So I sat, Joyce Pierce was attending at the time, Lori was attending, Kathy Poole, and Chris. And I said, Chris, you're the best prophetic musician I've ever heard. And Joyce, you're, the, you're the, one of the best I've ever heard for hymns in gospel, Southern gospel. And you too, Lori, I know you can play because I taught you piano. Kathy, I know you can play because I taught you piano. And I said, this is a piece of music. I said, we have to have this style of music. You just can't get up there and play anything. You've got to play what the, what the Lord is leading us to sing at this time. So I gave them a sheet of music. And I said, we're going to pray and ask God to give you the ability to do it. So in a little while, Chris played for a little while. She did it for a while. Different ones did it for a while. And so finally, Lori surfaced. And Lori became a, a great musician. But during that time, during that time, there was a man sitting in our congregation who could have played anything I asked him to play. He could have played hymns. He could have played classic music. Praise and worship. He could play anything that band needed him to play. He's that good. And today he has been restored and he's being used greatly by the Lord. But at that time he was far from God. He was searching. Pastor was counseling him. And he was sitting right over there. And I would not have had to have changed one thing. You, that was a temptation to a praise and worship leader. Because praise and worship leaders want things to be right. But you know what? More important than things being right in the worship service is hearts being right in the minds of those who are up there. Now, the people on the praise team is never going to be perfect. Jesus was the only person that was ever perfect. But as a praise leader and as a pastor, we have a responsibility for their character to be proven. And whoever gets on that stage to help lead worship or to teach or whatever, we need to know that they are a proven character. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, so that's my first freebie this morning. So, how we worship matters. How we worship matters. Jesus said in spirit and in truth. God's truth gives us instructions to worship. Pastor Tim talked about it. Michelle talked about it. Um, we work with, the Bible teaches us to worship with our mouth, to sing, say, and shout. It tells us to worship with our hands, to lift, clap, and play instruments. It tells us to worship with our posture, to stand, bow, and kneel. It tells us to watch worship with our feet, to dance. A quick reminder, and Michelle hit it really hard last night, that truth is not just methods. Truth is not just methods. According to Isaiah 29, the Lord says, these people draw near me with their words. They draw with me with their dance. They're playing their musical instruments, but their hearts are far from me. It goes right back. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Worship matters. Our first experience in worship and in truth only because we were, we were raised um, in the Pentecostal fashion and I love, I'm glad, I'm very thankful for my heritage. But I had never been taught that you could just worship because you love God. And you could just lift your hands because you love him. You could just dance because you love him. And you could just move into his presence and honor him and, and just do it because he's worthy and because he's God. You know, I was, we were of the persuasion that you couldn't get up and, and they called it shouting. You couldn't get up and shout or do those things until Holy Spirit zapped you. The Holy Spirit zapped you. You, you, you. you responded to that electricity and you got up and danced. Well, I want to tell you, sometimes he still zaps me. And I believe in that. But I was, I was, I was uh, missing so much and the church was missing so much because we didn't know to just enter in with thanksgiving and to just enter in with praise and just obey the biblical truth. So in the early 80s, Miss Little Mae Putnam came to our church and, um, and she opened up Psalm, she opened up Psalm 150 
And she said, and now we're going to do it. Here is the truth, and we're going to do it. She said, Kenny, Kenny she called him Kenny because she had known him since he was a boy. She said, Kenny, get on that piano and play some dancing music. <laughs> oh, my land. <laughs> Nobody in the house of God knew what, <coughs> what dancing music was. So he said up there, and he did a few Southern Gospel, boom, 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 Southern Southern Gospel. And then she looked at us, and she said, now dance. Now, when, when Lula Mae Putin told you to do something, she had been a former woman wrestler. And, um, and when she told you to do something, you did it. And so I thought, how, what is dancing? How in the world are you dancing? So I just started like marching. I knew how to march. So I just started marching. So she went through that thing. At a, I don't know if, if we had drum trumpet at that time. I know we had drums. I think probably Dwayne may have been still the drummer. Or it may have been Michael Burris at that time. But she looked up and she said, praise the Lord on the cymbals. Do dancing music on the cymbals. Bless the Lord on the cymbals. So they just took off banging on the drums. And, um, and why? Because the word said do it. It didn't sound great. But that was our first experience in learning that you can just worship the Lord in truth. You can, if the Bible says do it, you can do it. You can go even if you, <laughs> the Bible says do it. And so, um, so, so I want to get across to you today that there is power in obedience to the truth. Now, I was at a worship conference one time, and, um, and the guy was teaching about this, about worshiping in the truth. And he, he made this remark. He said, uh, uh, old-fashioned old churches call it um, uh, dancing in the spirit. He said, but there's no such thing as dancing in the spirit. Well, the Word of God does not say dancing in the Spirit. The Word of God says dance before the Lord. And so he was just teaching, you can just get up and dance before the Lord. But he said, there, there's no reality, there's no truth to just dancing in the Spirit. And I raised my hand. I said, he said, yes, ma'am, do you have a question? I said, no, sir, I have something I'd like to say. And, um, and I said, I believe everything you're saying because I recently came into that truth. And I believe in, in dancing before the Lord. But I also know you can dance in the spirit. I've done it. I know it's real. And if you can sing in the spirit and sing with your own understanding, you can also dance in the spirit and dance with your own understanding. And so I said, I know what it feels like when I'm just, my feet are just moving because I love God. And I know what it feels like when Holy Ghost gets in my feet and I couldn't stop it if I tried. <laughs> can we just give God praise? We dance, we worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Okay. So then, um, let's talk for just a minute uh, more about the pattern for worship. Um, can you put up slide 14, the one that showed the, the full tabernacle scene? It worked the other night. I don't know why it's not working this morning, but if it, if it doesn't, it's okay. Um, so slide 14. It's that, uh, well, that's not it, but that's okay to leave it there. Um, so let's look at this for just a moment. I was going to show you a picture from the view of the whole tabernacle with all the, all the tents around it and everything so that um, um, you would get a, a, a reminder of what, it, of what it is. But in the Old Testament, God created this pattern of worship for Moses' tabernacle. It's called Moses' tabernacle. Where the arrow is was the gate. There was only one gate, symbolic of Jesus is the only way. The next piece of furniture is the brazen altar. The next is the labor where they, they washed. And then you went into the holy place. That was called the outer court. And then you went into the holy place. On the left was the candlestick. On the right was the table of showbread. And then there was another veil behind which was the Ark of the Covenant. And just before that veil, that little square there, was the altar of incense. Now, every time the, 
in the word of God, when the word incense is used, it means worship. Pastor, every time we sing that song we sang last night, um, Worthy, and we say, day and night, night and day, let incense rise. He, he said, asked me the question, do people understand what that is? And I said to him, well, every time uh, that I, because I had just recently learned it, that every time incense is mentioned in the Bible, it means worship. So we're actually saying day and night, night and day, let worship rise, let worship rise, let worship rise. But everybody may not know that, so now you know that, right? So, but let me tell you what happened. More than 40 chapters, I believe, I didn't, I didn't check, it's been a long time since I've taught this, and I didn't get a chance to check all the things I wanted to do before coming. But um, I believe it's more than 40 chapters in the Bible talks about how to do the, the, the tabernacle of, the, of Moses. And over and over and over, God said, Moses, do it according to the pattern. Do it according to the pattern. Don't, don't, don't go away from this. Do it according to the pattern. And so this was the order of worship. And one priest, one time a year, could go past that altar of incense into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and worship before the Ark of the Covenant where God dwelt. Well, aren't you glad that Jesus came and tore that veil from top to bottom? And now we can all go into the Holy of Holies. We can all go in and worship. But I, I'm, I'm saying that to point out to you, make a point to you here, that, that this, was the, this was the pattern of, wor of worship that God said. Now, my husband preached for over a year every Sunday night on the, the tabernacle of Moses and taught us so many, we taught us so many things. In fact, God used this pattern right here to assure my husband that we were in the right direction. See, when God was moving us into praise and worship, into operation against the spirit and all those kinds of things, at that time we, we were the only one in this area doing that. And, and we received some persecution because of it. And naturally, as a pastor, he wanted to know God. Am I leading my people right? If nobody else is around here is doing this, is this right? Am, am I going in the right direction? So he was teaching, and he got to the altar of incense, and God used the altar of incense to show him that we were where we were supposed to be. And here's why. Because not only is that, um, not only is that um, a pattern of worship, but it's also a pattern of church history. Uh, let me read, let's read Acts, the verse in Acts. I believe you do have that one up there, Acts 15, 13 through 18. Let's read that, please. And this was, uh, this was uh, when it, the council in Jerusalem, and let's read it out loud together. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Amos is the, Amos is the one he's quoting right now, just as it is written, and he quotes from Amos. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Now keep that verse there for just a minute and let me back up to say. When in the, God began the restoration of all things after the dark ages and, and, and Rome, Rome had made uh, Christianity a religion, things got very dark. 
And, and but, so God had promised to restore all things. So I, I, I'm not going to go into detail with this. I don't have my little, um, put the tabernacle back up there for me, please. I, meant, I forgot I needed that again. Um, I don't have my little laser thing with me to point it out, so I hope you can follow me here. So then, you see, when you go through that arrow, when you go through the gate, you see that first piece of furniture there. That is the brazen altar. God restored that to the church when Martin Luther <coughs> nailed his 95 theses to the wall. He came out of the Catholic Church declaring the just shall live by faith. You've got to be born again. And that, that ushered in a great revival in Baptists and many other denominations began to, to be born because they taught you have to be born again. You don't, it's not by works, but it's by faith you've got to be born again. And then a couple of hundred years later or so, the labor, the, labor, the round labor, uh, the round piece of furniture there that had water in it, where the priest washed their app. The Wesley brothers came along teaching, you've got to be sanctified, you've got to, you've got to live holy, you've got to be washed in the water of the word. And the great Methodist churches and churches like that began to be born and restored. And that, that teaching was restored to the church. The sad thing about it is this, and I heard Tony Miller say this one time, every great move of God, the enemy of that, the people of that move became the enemy of the second move. So instead of, instead of all the people who, thank you, instead of all the people believing in the brazen altar, instead of all the people believing in the brazen altar, they opposed the ones who were now believing in sanctification. So the people came out, the, the Methodists and so forth came out of the first one, and they became Methodists because they believed in sanctification. Not just the Methodists, but God greatly used them during that time. And then, when you enter into the, uh, the, that first veil, into the holy place, and come to the left there, that one, that is uh, the, the light, uh, the candlestick, the light of the candlestick. And Azusa Street, uh, during Azusa Street and several other areas, I don't have time to go into all that church history, but Azusa Street and some other great revivals that was going on, God began to restore the light of the gospel, of, uh, the, the light of the Holy Spirit. And, and that became, uh, and then all the Pentecostals came out of that. And then the next piece of furniture was the table of showbread, where the bread was, the, and the, the word says that the healing, the bread is, healing is the children's bread. And all the great healing revivals came up. Or Roberts, a lot of other great healing revivals were restored. And then, the, then, uh, then it came to the altar of incense, where an incense means worship. And then all the great worship revival, all the great charismatic movement, all these, all, all the, in fact, the altar of incense went past any denomination. All denominations got involved. Catholics got involved, um, Presbyterians, Baptists, Episcopals, everybody got involved with the, with the worship, with the incense. And that altar of incense is just before the realized presence of Jesus. And so God used that to show pastor that we were in the right place, we were doing the right thing at the right time, that we, God was raising up praise and worshipers to usher in the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to bring in the harvest, to bring in his harvest so that, so that when he comes back, he'll have a church ready, ready for him. So I was so thankful that God used that pattern of worship to teach us and to assure my husband. But on the last night of his sermon from that, a message in tongues interpretation was given. And the interpretation was, you have done well to study the tabernacle of Moses, but now I have much to teach you about the tabernacle of David. 
Well, when I went home that night, I was really disturbed because I was the one that, 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 that interpreted that message and I had no idea where the Tabernacle of David was. And I said, what did I say? Have I messed up here? And I got down before the Lord and the Lord said, no, I'm going to teach you about the Tabernacle of David. And God was so faithful, right, right person at the right time, revealing things to us personally, and God began to usher us in to this move, of, this new move of praise and worship, and to into operation the gifts and this type of thing. Holy Spirit began moving in our church, our little our little church. You go look at it, that little box church on on Leeds Mill Road, the corner of Leeds Mill and Samoa, was packed full every Sunday morning, and especially every Sunday night. And on Sunday night, we were in there sitting like this and worshiping. And once she went over here and hit on the fell off in the drum cage, because no people had nowhere to dance and nowhere to shout. But God began to move. God began to move in those services. And God began to teach us about the tabernacle of David. Now, let me just briefly tell you just a little bit if you're not aware of it. The tabernacle of David, this is what, go back to that passage in Acts 1, please. That, this is what he's referring to. Amos said, years before, years before the Holy Ghost came, Amos said, uh, I, after this, I will return and we rebuild the tabernacle of David. He did not say, I'm going to come and rebuild the tabernacle of Moses. He said, I'm going to come and rebuild the tabernacle of David. Well, what about it? David didn't really have an event like a thing like Moses had. Do you know what? When, Moses, when, when David became king, the, the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, and he went to get it. He did the wrong thing, the right thing the wrong way, and had to leave it at Obed Edom's house. And then he got things together and did it the biblical way. And he went and brought the Ark back to Jerusalem with great shouting and great rejoicing. But he did not take it back to the tabernacle of Moses. That young upstart. Why God had said over and over, do it according to the pattern. Do it this way. Do it this way. And now, David, you have the audacity to come along and get this ark and not put it back where it's supposed to be. You have the audacity, audacity to do something different, David. David put it on a tiny little hill several miles from Jerusalem. And guess what? There was no tent around it. There was no veil around it. Do you know what surrounded David's tabernacle? musicians and singers and scribes. He appointed so many people to worship around the tabernacle of David that they had to do shifts. You know, you probably thought Camel Soup came up with that. No, David <laughs> came up with that. And they, they went by shifts and they had scribes there and, and, the, and the, they would worship God, they would sing and play on their instruments and the scribes would record what they, said, what they, what they sang and what they said. And that's where much of the Psalms came from. And many other references to, uh, in Scripture. During that time, that's where a lot of the, the Psalms came from. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so for about, some, some theologians say 30 years. Some say 33 years. I like 33 years because Jesus was on earth for 33 years. And that was a representative of Jesus. And his presence with us. So we'll say for 33 years, God allowed that to go on. Meanwhile, right down the, right down, not the street, so to speak, seven miles down the road, was the tabernacle of Moses, and they continued everything. The presence of God was no longer there, but they continued offering up the blood sacrifices. Now, there's two ways to look at that. 
They were going through all the motions with no presence there. And Christians can go through the motions with no presence there. We can do church as usual with no presence there. But another way to look at it, that I, I began to look at it later, is that the blood sacrifices, it was necessary that the blood sacrifices continue. So the blood sacrifices continued in Moses' tabernacle for 33 years, but all this praise and worship was going on down here for 33 years. And I believe God allowed that as a New Testament, uh, that as a type of what New Testament worship would be like. So to, to, give, to give us an example of what that was to be like. And that's what Amos prophesied that would be rebuilt. Not a built, not, a, not all those gates, not all those uh, beautiful hangings, not all of that, but what he prophesied and James quoted here is that that's what would re be rebuilt. The, the attitude of praise and worship, the atmosphere of praise and worship. And listen to this. For those who think praise and worship people just like to sing and dance and jump about and don't care about nothing else, listen to what he said. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that, so that what? The rest of mankind may see the Lord. I want to tell you, when you become a praiser and a worshiper and when your church becomes a praiser and a worshiper, souls are going to be saved. Souls are going to be saved. They're going to be drawn to the presence of God. And if you yourself as an individual, if you're a worshiper, you're going to be a witness. I, I, I love, I love um, uh, workshops on soul winning and witnessing, but I want to tell you, first you need to become a worshiper. I love, uh, I love uh, things about evangelism, but first you need to become a worshiper. And out of that, out of that service to God, it's amazing how the manifest presence of God, which is what we're talking about this morning, will draw people uh, to the Lord and they will be saved. So, I gave you a little, a brief little outline there about the difference between David's tabernacle and Moses' tabernacle. We read that. So, let me tell you one more thing about Sunday nights. I've really, I've really got to hurry here. So, the Sunday night worship services at, over at, on Leesville Road, I, we, it became intercessory worship. Well, I didn't know what that was. God began to put that term in my spirit. And he said, this is what I'm doing. It's intercessory worship. This is what I'm doing. And so I would find, we would, what we would do, we would find ourselves after getting in, going into the holy place and, and worshiping before the Lord and being in his presence for a while, we would find ourselves interceding for nations. And the word would come forth, um, the, the strong man over India is being, is being weakened tonight. The stronghold over Africa is being weakened tonight. And, and, and we, we were interviewed at that time for our church magazine called The Advocate, and they were asking me things about it. And this is what, this is the definition I gave them. I said, I don't know how to explain intercessory worship, what God's doing right now, but, but this is the way I told them. I said, intercessory worship happens when a body of believers become extravagant in their worship. They become lavish in their worship. And in that atmosphere, we can decree and declare his power and re we can decree and declare and his power and resources are released to the nations are released to the needs of people what am i saying we can move into a place of worship where we have built such a, a throne for him such a big throne for him to sit on and we have moved in that place of worship until he, he, as his intercessors in the earth he's a, the spirit of intercession, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of intercession, we can then begin to decree and declare our launching tongue, our, our tongue, begin to decree and declare. In the name of Jesus, uh, that spirit over India has to bow down. 
In the name of Jesus, that spirit over Africa. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, be healed. There is a place that we can get through intercessory worship. And so after we moved out here, um, I found uh, three little books, and we, I put them on your resource packet as, as recommended reading. Um, three little books by Dick Eastman called Pathways into His Presence, Rivers of Delight, that sort of thing. And um, I found those, and, and I began teaching him to preach the praise on Sunday morning. And I, was, I, was, I got to that point, I found out that what I had been calling intercessory worship, Dick Eastman called heart and bowl. Heart and bowl. And he actually says, I'll, refer, I'll tell you what he said. He said, intercessory worship, this is his definition, refers to concentrated worship that becomes intercessory in nature because it carries the prayers of God's people like the fragrance of incense before the throne. As a result, God releases his power to accomplish his purposes for the harvest. Isn't that amazing? And, and then to, to prove that, I want you to turn with me if you have your Bible. Very, I'm, I'm trying to wind this thing down. Um, turn in your Bible to Revelation for me if you have it there. If not, I'll read it really quick to you. I know I've jumped from thing to thing this morning, and I didn't get my... Um, my outline for you to have a copy of, but um, be that as it may, I'm trusting Holy Spirit to make it meaningful to you. Okay, so so in Revelation, um, where's the one I want to read? Five, eight through ten. Revelation five, eight through ten. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb each one holding a harp, harp is worship, and a golden bowl full of incense, that's prayers, golden bowl represents prayers, which are the prayers of the saints. So if a harp equals worship and the bowl equals prayers, here's what was the result of their combination. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. What was the result of the combination of harp and bowl, of intercessory worship? The harvest was brought in. The tribe, every tribe and every nation, it became a harvest song. And then look in chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. When the lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So here, here we see this praise and worship, this atmosphere, these prayers or intercession being released with incense, and it resulted in the final unfolding of God's plan through the sounding of the seven trumpets. So see, church, what, we just, what you do on Sunday morning, what you do in your car is not just for you. It's not just for now. We're, we're preparing to be a great hallelujah in heaven. We're, we will be a part of that thing sounding, that sounds being broken, and the trump sounding and the shout sounding as the last of the seven seals are unfolded. That releases God's shout, that releases God's shout in heaven. We can be certain, this is his statement and I want to reiterate it. We can be certain that worship-saturated intercession will be a key to the last great harvest on earth. How many of you are interested in bringing in the harvest? How many of you want to see souls saved? I want to tell you, yes.
get hungry for the manifest presence of God, move into his presence because that's the key. Are you thankful that he's given us some keys that we can use? Can we give him praise for it? Amen. Worship is a powerful book um, by Bob Sorgay. Um, I taught it in Priest of Praise years ago. I was surprised recently when I tried to order one for someone else that it has been updated three times since I got, had my copy. And so you can go online and get one of those if you'd like. Glory is a book by Ruth Ward Heflin. Um, the Reset is by Jeremy Riddle. Worship is Majesty by Jack Hayford. Pastor Tim talked about how that just changed his life. Um, then the worship trilogy that I just talked to you about. Are, did the other two classes come in? Oh, it's Wanda's class in. Raise your hand if you're in Wanda's class. Okay, so Wanda's class is in. Okay. Um, so the worship trilogy, Heights of Delight, Pathways of Delight, and Rivers of Delight that I just referenced a few minutes ago by Dig Eastman, and you shall worship by our former bishop um, Underwood. And um, I'm sure you have your own favorite regarding that, but those are some that will um, be beneficial to you if you're interested in. And I, on the books, the, the trilogy that I mentioned, The Pathways of Delight, uh, I developed worksheets for each of those chapters for Priest of Praise. And if you are interested in teaching that at your church, I'll be happy to, I'll be happy to provide the worksheets for you. We've just been in the process of uh, of giving Pastor Tim the big office here, the pastor's office here. So we've been trying to get things moved out of there and get pastor's little office set up. So it may take me a while to find them, but I know they're there. And if you're interested in teaching that, that trilogy at your church, I'll be glad to give you uh, copies of those, um, of those worksheets. Um, wait just a minute for the other class to come in. And while, while, while we're waiting, um, okay, okay, good. So maybe may have taken a bath, a break or something. So I, by, by by not being here earlier in the week, I failed to give you an opportunity to ask questions for this segment before we do worship and close together today. I wanted to give you an 
opportunity to ask qu any questions that you'd like to ask regarding anything. Um, if I don't have the answer, one of these others here will. We talked about, we, I considered first like a panel discussion, but I, if I knew we weren't gonna have time for several people to answer a question. But does anybody have a question? Anything about praise and worship or anything about anything, anything's been said today that you'd like to ask? No questions, everybody's got all the knowledge. I'd like to know when Michelle got so smart. Uh, <laughs> how she got so smart. <laughs> Can I address that, please? Yeah. <laughs> Faye. <laughs> well, she did do a great job, and I have, I have heard Wanda, but I've read her notes. She did a great job as well. Pastor Tim did a great job. Let's just give them all a big hand. So I had two questions um, posed to me earlier. Are you sure nobody else has a question right here? So the one question that I had posed earlier was, how soon after getting saved or attending church should one be allowed to leave worship? How soon after getting saved or attending church, should one be allowed to leave worship? Michelle, tell us what, what that rule is for your Um Yeah, I think it's going to be different for everybody, but for us, I just I just say three months because this is why. Um, you know, you want to give people a time to really get connected, make sure this is the house that you want to be established in before getting involved and then getting involved and then going, eh, I think there's another church I'd fit better in and then having to quit or leave. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's just me. You want to give, and you also, I like to observe, you know, out here, if people aren't going to be worshipers in their seat, might not be a worshiper on the stage, you know what I'm saying? There's this, there's a, true, there's this kid that, not a kid, cold, I don't know, this, this guy that was at our church, and he would always sit on the far side on the left, right. And he would just worship with his whole heart. So Colt came to me after several months. He had been, had, his testimony is amazing. Prison, the Lord saving him, changing his whole life. But he was just, just you could see all over him. And so he came to me, he said, I, I, he said, now I can't sing a lick. He said, but I wouldn't mind being on the praise team. I said, Colt, I got one requirement for you. He said, what's that? I said, but you don't change one way you worship when you get up on that stage. And he hasn't, has he? Listen, it's, but you want, you want people to be committed, first of all, to the house and to the vision of the house and to the leadership of the house and not just be there to try to get a position. Yeah. That's just my I'm going to piggyback on what she was talking about. Something Dr. Jesse Simmons said in the late... Uh, mid late 1980s he was preaching a camp meeting in Lake City and uh, he said these he said this line charisma without character is chaos and they got it from a good source then but I'm gonna tell you what guys here, here's my thing uh, we instituted that rule at, at crossroads in Columbia if you come in, you got to sit for three months before you're gonna get on stage. I don't care. If, I don't care if we got to play a CD. We're not gonna happen because we want to get to know you. 
I want to know your character because whoever you put up there, whatever anointing they're operating out of, is going to flow down to the yeah. people that they're that they're seeing or they're leading. Okay, we had a guy named Willard. Uh, he's still with y'all, right? Willard can go back there and get spoons out of the kitchen and make music come out of them that'll make you slobber. The boy can play anything that makes noise. He makes me sick. I hate him. <laughs> and he's as humble as humble can be. He's like, oh, pastor. You, I, he goes sit down at the piano and just, and he says he's not a piano player. I'd go over there. I'd just stand over and show him. i say, you know, I hate you, right, Willard? <laughs> Guitar, saxophone, he can kill it. Kenny G potential, I'm talking, he's just, he's just that kind of guy. He started coming to Crossroads, and uh, we had told him, Willard, you want to come? You're going to have to sit for three months. Now, Willard had been to several churches around the area because he's asked to play at funerals and stuff. He's that good. Everybody knows him. Churches were after him to get to come play at their church, to come be on their praise team. And a lady walked up to me one day after we told Willard that, and he would just come to practice. Wouldn't play, he'd just come there. And because uh, I wanted to know his character. I knew he was a nice guy, but I needed to know what his heart was like. Okay? So lady came up to me after church one day. She said, she called a church up the road. She said, they're trying to get Willard to come be on their praise team. You better go ahead and put him up on that praise team. I looked at her, I said, uh-uh, I don't pimp people's gifts. And I looked her square in the eye and I said, if Willard's going to be a part of this praise team, he's going to sit his three months. And he said his three months and he's a go-to guy right now. If Michelle called him right now and said, Willard, I can't be there tomorrow. Something's come up. You know what? Willard would be there. And he's always there playing something, but he'd yep. get on the keyboard or whatever now. Uh, he, he's just a super guy. So anyway, my thing is that uh, charisma without character equals chaos. Wherever Dr. Simmons got it from. Okay. And, and then the second thing I want to say is, look, leaders, whether you're pastor, whether you're praise and worship leader, or you're in a church and you see somebody that's known in the Laurenburg area and they walk in the doors and you want to go grab the late pastor and say, ooh, you got to get them on stage. They're so anointed. Um, say that. No, no, no. There's been a lot of people anointed. That, that doesn't have the character to live up to that anointing. Your anointing will get you on the stage, but it's your character that will keep you on the stage. And um, also, neither uh, when, how long should a person be saved or before being allowed to lead worship? If a person comes in to our house and they, they just saved or they get saved, we ask them to wait a year. We give them a year to, to grow in the Lord, to get their own character right. But if someone comes to the church and they're a born-again believer, they've been a Christian for a long time, then ours is three months as well. And there's a process to be on the stage, have to attend X number of practices, begin to attend the priest of praise training class on Sunday morning, attend the practices, go to the prayer time, and do all of those things, uh, attend all of those things for several, about six, is it at six times? Felicia, you just went through that process, was it six times? And, um, and then you're allowed um, to be on the stage. That's not to make it difficult for anybody, it's to, to do, to prove these things that these two worship leaders have, have just said, exactly. Um, and then the other question that I had was, um, how, how much time should worship leaders talk? 
How much time should worship leaders talk? Well, let me address it first. If somebody else wants to say something, you can. I believe that worship leaders need to study the word and learn how to be exhorters, how to say a word in due season. But most of the time, the, 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 the music needs to speak for itself. Yes. Most of the time, the worship needs to speak to itself. Now, I remember being in services where somebody would get up to sing and they would say, well, I'm going to sing this song about going through a valley and the Lord delivered me and brought me through. And, and so they tell you all about the song and then they sing the song. Right. Well, I, I don't need to hear it. You just told me all right. about that song. And then they sing the song. Brother Bishop Underwood, in his little book on worship, uh, written a number of years ago, he, he came down really hard with that. He said, he said all, but he called them song leaders because we he was just in the transition of, you know, there is a difference in a song leader and a worship leader. Yes, ma'am. And so, um, so he said, he said there ought to be a moratorium put on, on speak of people on the platform that talk too much. They ought not to be allowed to say a single word for six months. <laughs> he said, he said song leaders have killed more worship services by talking, 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 and taking up time the preacher needed to be preaching stuff. And that's true. Worship leaders need to be trained to make transitions but not to talk so much. Right. Uh, that's why worship leaders need to know the word. That's why worship leaders need to know how word in due season. And can I just say this? A worship leader is a leader, not you don't drive sheep, you lead sheep. Yes. Uh, I've been in services with worship people who would say, come on people, get your hands up and praise the Lord. What's wrong with you people? God's in this house, get your hands up and praise the Lord. That's driving sheep. Yeah. That's not leading sheep. But when you say, you do it yourself, you say, oh, Father, we just lift our hands and give you praise and give you glory. You are leading them. You say, let's lift our hands and you do the same thing. Do you know I've seen people on the platform encourage somebody else to do it and then they're not even doing it themselves. Yep. 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 So you have to be a leader in all of those, in all of those actions as well. Um, one, I didn't even see you behind Miss Theola, Miss uh, Rita Waterg. I was looking around for you. Did I say that right while ago about the process? Yes, okay. Okay, um, and so, um, so how much should worship leaders talk only when necessary to exhort or like during a, trans, a transition? You always lead worship, you never drive, drive worship. And like in our case, we have multiple, multiple worship leaders. And so when you have multiple worship leaders on the stage and more than one person is going to lead a song, you, each of us needs to listen to what the other person is saying. We don't need three people to step forward and say, let's give the Lord the best praise of the day. You know, we don't need three people to do that. One person's okay to do that. So you need to listen to one another and to sense what Holy Spirit is doing in the house. And if, 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 if the, the first, the per this person has set up that song, has set it up, then you don't need to come up and set it up again. Right. You just need to start keep flowing. Uh, uh, so if you didn't hear, if you have not had a chance, Yet to hear Wanda's uh, lesson on keeping the flow in worship. I'm sure she covered things like that. You'll get to hear it um, Sunday morning. So those are just a few little things there. So worship leaders, it's okay to talk when necessary. Right. When necessary. Or it's not always the time to, we do a lot of um, worship like we did last night, vertical worship. Oh, well, let me just tell you this in passing. Um, when we were talking just a few minutes ago about the restoration of David's tabernacle and the, and the fulfillment of Amos' uh, prophecy that the, the tabernacle of David would be rebuilt, 
Do you, you just think how amazing that prophecy has come to pass? Now there are churches everywhere. Used to, Hosanna Integrity and Hillsong was the only two places that you could find worship music. Only two places you could find worship And now you can go on YouTube. Uh, there are so many, it's been such an abundance of praise and worship. Uh, it, what is it? God's fulfilling his promise. Amos prophesied it. James quoted and prophesied it. He's restoring the tabernacle of David. And the thing that I love about it is that individually, we as his people, all over different nations, different time zones, if we're all praising God, we're, we're doing 24-hour worship. He's receiving 24-hour worship. But there are some who have actually set up 24-hour worship. We've, we've done it a couple of times here. Um, there's, it, when you do 24-hour worship, you don't have many participants, but that's not the point. The point is to worship him for 24 hours. And so, um, so we've done that a few times here. Our team has gone to this, this ministry called David's Tent in Washington, D.C. for maybe eight or ten years now. They've done continual worship, 24-hour worship, uh, just like David's Tabernacle in Washington, D.C. And isn't it the International House of Prayer? International House of Prayer for many years now. Our church supported Nicole when she was out there in Oklahoma working. International House of Prayer. I didn't know till recently that they're actually on, that they're actually live streaming 24 hours. And you can watch them. They come in, they don't talk, they, they don't, one person, just like last night, one team sits down, another team sets up. They start worshiping and praising. A singer will come out with a verse of scripture. They'll start creating a song of that verse of scripture. And that's how they're writing their songs. And if you, you, so if you're interested in knowing more about how that is done, then just watch International House of Prayer and you, on, on YouTube or whatever, and you'll see that. Now, aren't you thankful that God's word is true? He fulfills his promise. And aren't you glad that we live in a day when we're part of the fulfillment? The tabernacle of David has been restored. Aren't you thankful? Praise God. Praise God. Last call. Anybody else have a question? If not, we're going to enter into a time of worship. Now, if the praise team would come forward, we're going to enter into a time of worship. And um, contrary to what I told you earlier, just sing that. Sing that whole medley, and then we'll, we'll enter into prayer time. Oh, please. This was brought out beautifully by someone in our session. It's not just the responsibility of the praise team to lead worship. You as a congregation are an integral part of the worship experience. When you come in here and you are prepared, your heart is ready, there is an expectancy, it makes the responsibility on the platform so much easier. You know what, you may never stand on a platform and lead worship, but as Mrs. Blees used to teach us way back in the day, be the worship leader on your row. Be the worship leader in your little section because you set more of an example and your, your worship is more contagious than you realize. So just keep that in mind, whether you ever set foot on a platform to lead a congregation or not, your worship matters, it is important, and you are a worship leader. Someone's watching you. Someone's watching you. You know, if we had another 30 minutes, I could teach you a whole lesson on the responsibility of the individual worshiper. I'm just going to tell you one little key, one little clue. If you're going to be a worshiper on Sunday morning in the sanctuary, if you're going to be part of a corporate worship service and do your part, you need to sanctify some time on Saturday to get ready for Sunday. Now, that's one of the, the neatest clues I know, one of the greatest keys I know. Even though you have all your shoes laid out and you're 
clothes ready and everything ready on Sunday morning, the devil is still going to fight you. And there's still something that's still going to happen. But at least you're prepared. And if, we, if we're going to sit up late on Sunday night, on Saturday night, and watch horror music and romant, romantic movies or party half the night, we're not going to be in a position to be enter in with Thanksgiving and into a course of praise. You have a responsibility, like Wanda said. You have a responsibility. And that's one of the greatest keys I know. Sanctify some time on Saturday. Oh, but Saturday's the only day I have to go shopping. And Saturday's the only day I have to do all this kind of stuff. And Saturday's the only day you have to get ready for Sunday, honey. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up and worship together. It's always been you, Jesus. Stay there. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to It's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, nothing else matters, nothing in this world will do, only you, Jesus, you're the Pray. 
super mystical, but I'm going to tell you what. Your mind, your heart, your situation, those things that make you can be altered at any point at the altar of God. If you'll study the life of Abraham, who was God's friend and greatly blessed by God, one of the first things Abraham would always do, he would build an altar. He would build an altar. And then sometimes he wouldn't build a new altar. Sometimes he'd go back to an old altar. When the fire fell on Mount Carmel, when the prophet Elijah prayed fire down, there was an old altar there that had been destroyed and demolished. Elijah took time to rebuild that thing rock by rock by rock and prayed fire down from heaven. Things are altered at an altar. And folks, I'm going to submit to you today wherever you are and you begin to worship and call upon the name of the Lord. I don't care if you're in your car sitting on the bed in your bedroom or sitting behind machinery at work. Wherever you begin to worship that becomes a place of an altar for you. Because you know what? An altar is always bigger than your circumstances. That's why Paul and Silas could be in a jail, beaten, bloody, bruised, in a Philippian jail. And at midnight, when everybody else is trying to go to sleep, probably some of those guys, fellow inmates are hollering, would y'all just shut up? Those boys kept on singing and praying. Somebody tell me what happened in Acts chapter 16 at the midnight hour. That's right. God shook the whole prison. The doors, the, the, the doors, the get, cell doors popped open. Not only that, folks, but the handcuffs and the anklets popped open and fell to the ground. Not just Paul and Silas, y'all. Come on now, your praise isn't just about you. Mom said this months ago, I have not been able to shake that. I was walking around worshiping, doing praise and worship. I was back there when she came up to the pulpit. She said it. She said, your praise is not just about you. Your worship is not just about you. It's not just about Northview. She said, 
your worship right now may be moving in the life of somebody around the world that you've never met yet that's been crying out to God for help. You don't know. He does. Worship is a whole lot bigger than us, y'all. So what I want to do is we're going to pray over you. And I just want to seal by the Spirit of God everything that has been spoken into your heart and life today. And you know what? If you came in Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, if you walk out of here today and you say, well, they gave us a lot of information and you never do anything with it, we didn't fail. We gave you what God told us to give you. But now, it's what are you going to do with it when you walk out of here? That's your responsibility. Now you are accountable to God for that. Amen? And I don't know about anybody else in here, but I love worshiping God. Because Miss Linda, he's been good. He is the king of the universe. Hallelujah. 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 Hover over us, Holy Spirit. We want to dwell, not visit, not get a good glimpse of. We want to dwell in the shadow of your wings, Lord God. Spirit of God, right now I secure, seal, concrete every word that's been spoken Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at this Limitless Worship Conference. God, I pray that every person that has received, whether they were here every time or just one time, I pray something be unlocked in their spirit, man, that makes them hungry for the more, the greater, the deeper things of God. Because God, as I read just a few weeks ago, that we're going to be in heaven for eternity. And if we could put a time frame on even a part of eternity, we could be there for a billion years and still look at one another and say, we still don't know everything about God. Limitless, that's what you are. Boundless, unorthodox, you cannot be boxed, you cannot be contained. Lord, we lift our hearts, our minds, and our eyes to you. And God, we ask you for a greater revelation of who you are, that we would hunger and desire and thirst, Lord God, and pant as the deer pants after the water, that we would run toward the deeper and the greater things. 
of the kingdom. And we can't do anything with the kingdom except we start at the throne. And if we're gonna look at the throne of the kingdom, then I'm gonna release the words from the book of the Revelation when John said, I looked and in the midst of the throne, there was a lamb that appeared to have been slain, but lives forevermore. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, we look to you. I just ask you, Lord, right now to just lay your hand, Holy Spirit, on every person under the sound of my voice and release a fresh oil anointing of revelation, insight, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we would realize no matter where we are right now, as blessed as we are, whether we have been long-term journeying in this adventure of seeking the heart of God or whether we are a novice at it, no matter where we are, we would realize we have not even scratched the surface yet. And I bless you with the words of Jesus today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Until all of me is on the floor, I will stay here. And I will stay for a little while. Until I look like the
congregation, you sing. sanctified to you Lord King you are my God my healer my provider my sustainer my righteousness my sanctifier my peace giver my peace speaker hallelujah you are my victory Jehovah Nissi hallelujah you are my shalom Jehovah Shalom you are my peace hallelujah you are my healer, Jehovah Rapha. You are my shepherd, Jehovah Rohi. Hallelujah. You are my ever-abiding presence, Jehovah Shammah. You are, you are, you are. Hallelujah. You are my Adonai, my sovereign controller. You are my El Shaddai. You are my more than enough. You are my Elohim. You are my righteous judge. Hallelujah. You are my Goel. You are my kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah. You are my lamb, my Passover lamb. You are my sacrifice, Lord. Sufficient in all that you have done so that when you cried out, it is finished or it was finished. Hallelujah. I don't need anything else. I submit to you. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I just feel like the Lord's working miracles in people's bodies right now. I keep hearing the Holy Spirit saying that. He's rejuvenating bodies right now. He's giving new, fresh strength. And there are creative miracles happening right now. Some body parts being made brand new. All because we waited on the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. but I, I want to say one more thing I keep hearing the Lord say this this morning he's not just looking for worshipers he's looking for worship addicts worshipers will pursue his heart 
Worship addicts will go to all kinds of extremes to get to his heart. I want to be a worship addict. Amen. So when I get close to his heart, whatever his heart says to do, that becomes my heart. Amen. God, make us worship addicts. Hallelujah. It's been good to have my friend and my brother, Pastor Jason Watson, with us. Would y'all give my brother some love today? He's a good guy on Saturdays. He's, he's an awesome, awesome fella. Pastor Jason, can I hand you this microphone? You just pray for us and bless us today. May I say one thing? Sure. Tim was speaking just then about creative miracles. I'm sure most of you know the story of um, was it Amy Simple McPherson or um, at any rate, either she or the um, what is Pastor Faye? What was it? Catherine Kuhlman? It was either she or Catherine Kuhlman got a prophetic word one night in a service that God wanted to do a creative miracle and for somebody to come forth and nobody came. About 10 minutes later, as she was speaking, the Lord told her to say it again. So she said it again. And a lady came forward with a baby in her arms. And she said, I know you said God wanted to do a creative miracle, but I didn't know if he wanted to do a creative miracle like this. And she moved the blanket back. And the lady, the baby had no arms and legs. And his face was deformed. And um, so Catherine Kuhlman spoke of healing over the baby. And then, listen to this, they worshiped for 30 minutes. And at the end of 30 minutes, pop, 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 those little legs popped out, those arms popped out, and the deformed face was straight. So, you, so we need to remember the power of word, prayer and worship. We need to remember how powerful that is. And, uh, and the second thing I wanted to say is I wanted to connect one dot that I failed to do when I was speaking about lavish um, worshipers. Lavish worship equals lavish giving. I failed to give you... This, the biblical reverence for that I gave you the personal proof of that but after David's tabernacle was built and they were doing tabernacle worship David needed money to build a temple and they brought so much money they were so lavish in their giving because of their lavish worship in David's tabernacle they brought so much money that he had to say you don't need to bring anymore and so that's a that's a biblical reverence for that proof that lavish worship equals lavish giving and lavish worshipers equals lavish givers. Aren't you thankful for that today? So I just wanted to connect that little dot. I also wanted to say thank you for your prayers for me this week. I, they, God answered and I give him all the praise for it. I want to thank the Northview team and everything you guys have done for all of us. Uh, I have enjoyed every single second uh, being here. So can we give it up for Northview and the awesome team? It has absolutely blessed my soul. But Father, we love you, Lord God, and we approach your throne of grace and mercy this morning, Lord God. I thank you for what you've already done, Lord. I thank you that even when we don't see you moving, we know you are moving. Father, I, I impart your blessing, Lord God. I declare your blessing over every single person here, Lord God, that you will continue to call us deeper into your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, let us be those, those worshipers, Lord God, that when we begin to worship, the demons flee, Lord God, that the darkness trembles, Lord God, like David would worship, Lord God. Let us worship without any worry or concern, Lord God, because we're not doing it for us, we're doing it for you. And Father, I pray your blessing, your favor, your grace and mercy over every single person and over this house. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.